kept alive until we are killed. He's up there in the ice. He's clinking in his glass. He sends me little pieces of paper. I don't ask. I just empty my pockets and wait. It's not fate. It's just circumstance. It's I don't fate. fool myself with romance. I just live I phone number the phone romance. number, dusting them against my thighs in the warmth of my pockets, which whisper history incessantly, asking me, where were you? I lower my eyes, wishing I could cry I more and care less. Yes, it's true. I was trying to love someone again. I was caught carrying, bearing I was weight, but I love this city. Weight. This state, this state. country is too country large, is and who's ever in charge large. up there had better take the elevator down and put more than change in our cup, or else we, we are, coming are coming up. So welcome back. This is Indigo Radio. Um, so we are talking about panhandling today, which is, um, Henry, do you maybe want to try to uh, just say what we mean by panhandling? Sure. Panhandling is generally the idea, and it's been a kind of an ongoing issue, supposedly, lately in Brattleboro, where people um, don't have access to enough resources, and so they may have a job, they may be between jobs, they may be homeless, they may not be homeless, but they're on the streets asking people for money, typically, or it could be money or other resources on the street. Yeah, so one of the reasons that um, this feels, this is relevant today, um, and it's obviously, um, it's, it's always a relevant issue, frankly, because panhandling, um, people have been asking for money on the streets for hundreds of years. Um, but one of the reasons that it feels particularly relevant in Brattleboro today is because there was recently um, some, there has been, let's, let's say that there has been a committee um, going on over for a few years trying to talk about um, proposed, and I, I feel like I should say quote unquote, but so, solutions to panhandling. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the Brattleboro Downtown Alliance has been really um, a part of this and they've kind of spurred this on. And so the Brattleboro Downtown Alliance is a group of um, local business owners downtown maybe. Um, and maybe if you were in Bra- uh, Brattleboro a couple years ago, you remember how the works was having um, community conversations about homelessness. Um, but really, the one of the reasons why they're spurring on this conversation is because they feel like um, the presence of panhandlers is bad for business. Um, and so there has been some proposed uh, ways, I guess, ways to address panhandling in Brattleboro. Um, I and you were um, and you were from our conversations, you were actually involved a little bit as far as going to some of the meetings where they were talking about these solutions, possible solutions, yeah. like select board meetings. So right. there's been like four or five like solutions that are like on the table now. Um, and I'm not going to go into them that much. Some of them have more to do with services and, um, but there was one particular solution that I was more involved in because it went to the select board. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that was a flyer. And the flyer um, was, a, was proposed essentially to, um, my understanding was essentially to make tourists more comfortable mm-hmm. because people were claiming that they felt um, nervous around panhandlers or they felt somehow threatened. Um, and so 
Um, I am actually going to read to you the last iteration of the sign. Um, it went through several iterations, and this was the last one that ended up being voted on by the select board on Tuesday. And it was um, voted down? or It was right? voted down. Yeah. So this is what um, it ended up saying. Brattleboro is a compassionate community and recognizes that it is legal for people to carry signs or to ask for money in public places. We are also committed to the safety of every resident and visitor in our town and recognize that aggressive or threatening behavior can cause legal activities to become illegal. If you feel threatened, you can call the police at 802-257-7950 or dial 911 in an emergency. If you need food, shelter, or other assistance, you can call 211 for referral to local service agencies. So when you, when you heard that, what was the, because you were there at the debates and discussions. Yeah, I was there for a couple of them. What, um, what was going on and what were the, what were some of the objections to the sign and what were some of the people that were, that were in favor of the sign and from your analysis when you, when you watched the debate? Yeah. So I'll say, first of all, why I objected to the sign, um, which is that, um, to me, it makes a direct link between, um, uh, people who are asking for money on the street and aggressive behavior. Mm-hmm. And it makes that connection and almost immediately because it says it's legal to carry signs. But then the next sentence says we're also um, committed to the safety of every resident and aggressive or threatening behavior. Right. So there's an implication there, I guess. There's an implication and it makes that connection. And to me that, and that connection is manufactured. We have manufactured fear and, um, uh, mistrust and looking down on the poor and part of, um, and signs like this do that to make that connection. And, uh, so yeah. Okay. So there were people spoke out certainly for and against it. People who were against it spoke about stigma. Mm-hmm. Um, one older man got up and he was very clear and he said, um, he felt that the battle, uh, the battle between the panhandlers and merchants might be showing a merchant problem in town. Mm-hmm. Um, and that there was, um, they should know more about our neighbors in need and people need to have more education and more compassion. Um, yeah, people spoke about need. And essentially, to me, I see the people who are against it were um, in the camp of the problem is not the panhandlers. It is the fact that people have to panhandle because they're poor. So poverty is the issue, not panhandling. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then the people who were for it essentially said people feel nervous around panhandlers and mm-hmm. that um, the sign could make people feel more comfortable. And um, yeah. And I mean, my argument uh, was, and I did say this at the meeting, that there have been all, all groups of people um, in the history of this country who have uh, been stigmatized and we've, we've created fear around those groups of people. And Muslims are a group I'm thinking of right now. Mm-hmm. And um, we've manufactured that fear. And uh, we've taken active actions of one or two individuals and generalized it to the whole group and manufactured a fear. And that that fear needs to be dealt with as education for those people and not um, clearing the streets, the public places of um, groups of people. Yeah, and the stigma, I would argue, the stigma against poverty and the fear generated around poverty is a, I would say in some ways it's a conscious effort and has been an ongoing theme of American history, which is kind of one of the deeply ironic things about the country because most of the wealth generated has come from the working and lower classes, but Mm -hmm. yet we're, you know, 
we as a general society are taught that, that there's something wrong with poverty or that or there's something wrong with the working class this is an, a kind of an ongoing sometimes not so subtle message constantly being put out in media um, in public spaces like the select board meetings where there's some kind of threat or danger from poverty which I think is kind of as I said it's kind of one of the deep ironies because any wealth that's been created in America was created from the working and and, and, and early in that yeah. enslaved people in this country so it's it's kind of this um, bitter turn of the knife a little bit to, yeah. to have a situation where the fear should be of instead of maybe us all fearing the wealthy or fearing fearing the rich the story is the exact opposite um, I was talking to you before the show and I've I teach high school as I said and and there's a lot among my students they 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 tie together criminality and poverty and that's been consistent the whole time I've ever taught when we whenever we talk about criminality right. and people committing crimes it's always and so when when I bring up for example the crash of Wall Street this type of thing they say well these these people ruined lives and that was an act of violence indirectly um, they can't they have a hard time grasping it a lot of times because they they've been so the indoctrination has been so strong about linking poverty to violence and poverty to policing and poverty to, to law breaking that it's hard to yeah. unpack from our minds. Yeah. And Henry I actually wanted to, so, okay. So the, the flyer in Brattleboro was, um, was voted down. Um, and that at this particular moment is sort of the end of the, um, road, fly, for, that. Mm-hmm. road for that flyer. Yeah. Um, one of the things that one of the select board members brought up, he brought in a stack of flyers and the flyers were from other communities. And he basically said, look at this. Lots of other places are doing this. Like, this is not so out of the ordinary. Like, it's okay for Brattle. That makes it okay for Brattleboro to do it too. And so, which is a totally fallacious argument. But um, anyway, I um, would like to move on a little bit to hear about and talk about some of the other places in the country who have been uh, also had very vocal business communities mm-hmm. that have pushed for not solutions to poverty, not solutions, not things to help uh, people in need, but ways essentially to cleanse the streets of panhandlers. I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about that. Sure. So we did a little research prior to to say, okay, well, what, and, and to, to preface this, because sometimes um, <clears throat> If we're talking about these kind of issues, a lot of times it could be all negative, 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 and and bad things communities are doing. So it, stay tuned because the end of the show we we will get into Salt Lake City and um, other other kind of positive, hopeful, hopeful solutions uh, to issues around um, poverty, homelessness, panhandling. But in this case, we are going to focus on a couple of other places that didn't have a humanizing approach to it. And one of them is Miami. And this just happened recently with Hurricane Irma. They have something in Miami called, well, it's a Florida Act called the Baker Act, which was passed in the early 70s. And what it says is, is essentially that if someone is deemed um, unfit or unwell or unable to care for themselves, um, the authorities, and these are multiple authorities, not just police, but mental health workers, can actually essentially accost and, and then arrest someone for 72 hours without any charge or, or crime being proven, um, quote unquote, for their own safety. And critics of this law have basically said, well, what this law is used for is essentially to criminalize homelessness and criminalize panhandling. And so people were, in this particular context, and it's a little bit tricky, we were talking about before the show, because on the one hand, sure, you don't want people in the middle of a hurricane living on the streets without shelter. Mm-hmm. The question, of course, is, well, why are they without shelter? The larger question is, why are they even without shelter? But And we'll, we'll get into that with Salt Lake and how we can perhaps solve that in a more hum, humane way. But... Um, 
And so they were interviewing a man, and, and this is just a quick sn snapshot of this. And one older man from this article about um, invoking the Baker Act, one older man was pushing his belongings in an empty cart in a wheelchair in Bayfront Park in Miami and tried to wave them off. These are people trying to basically arrest him um, for being on the streets. I don't want nothing, he said. Um, <clears throat> and then it says insulting a social worker which is kind of interesting that they would deem that as insulting. Um, so you're cool. <laughs> why, is that, why is that insulting? Why is that so insulting? You're, so, so you're cool with dying in the streets, the person asked. Get out of my goddamn face, he responded. What's your name, asked Dr. Mohammed Nassar, a psychologist, psychiatrist who is looking for evidence of mental illness, a necessary factor for a Baker Act detention, although take that with a grain of salt because it's been applied fairly liberally it sounds like in Florida. it doesn't seem like you need to really look for evidence because right. it's just your opinion yeah that's right like what, he's a psychiatrist he can basically like, all right him. yeah so this is the guy says none of your damn business police officer james burnett intervened we're here to help you listen to me you're going to you're you're being very aggressive which is funny here's a man he's just saying leave me alone he's the police are, you're being very aggressive we're trying to help you brent said um it's very dangerous out here you're trying, and then the homeless person says, you're trying to make me go somewhere I don't want to go, he insisted. Finally, the man was handcuffed without a struggle and taken to the Jackson Memorial Hospital for a psychiatric evaluation. So, um, so I, the, another um, city that has um, taken on this issue because of the pressure of business owners has been Atlanta. And actually, Henry, it was so interesting when you found this because um, this is about, so uh, what you found was about the Peachtree Pine Shelter in Closing Atlanta. down. Mm -hmm. Closing down. And I actually um, stayed at the Peachtree Peach Tree Pine Shelter um, in 2004 for Thanksgiving. Um, I was in AmeriCorps and uh, I wasn't going to travel on those horrible travel days. And so um, I went, I drove down there to visit another AmeriCorps team and uh, we stayed together. We had a lovely Thanksgiving dinner at a soup kitchen, probably like 75 people there. Um, everybody cooked together and everybody sat down and ate together. Um, yeah. And so the Peachtree Pine Shelter was recently closed, actually. And I um, felt kind of surprising to hear that um, because uh, it is it was a huge shelter. Um, and there were no conditions of being there. So you did not have to fill out any paperwork. I don't know if you had to be sober. Did you? No, no. It was, it was one of the only shelters in Atlanta yeah. that, that you had an open enrollment. As yeah. Far, not enrollment, it's a silly word, but, you know, open. Um, basically, you could go there without proving anything. You didn't have to prove paperwork, nothing. You just could yeah. go. If you needed shelter, you could go there for the night. Yeah. And uh, there were always lots of people outside. And, I mean, my memories are that they were friendly and excited to meet us and mm -hmm. meet some out-of-towners and... Um, but that was closed down because of why? Because of business pressure? Yeah, there's a lot of there. They, they have been going back and forth. The, the the shelter had quote unquote owed money to to the city. They they were back. They're behind on their water bills, of course, because funding for the, for shelters is often problematic. It's difficult to to maintain a shelter of this size, a very large shelter. And so there was issues of of financing for the shelter. And then of course there was a huge pushback from city officials and from the business community who wanted the shelter shut down. Uh, once again, because there was a lot of insinuation that the people that were at the shelter were causing problems with break-ins, et cetera. Even though it sounded like a lot of that stuff wasn't proven, there were rumors and hints and that, and, you know, occasionally I'm sure it probably did happen, but that the question is, do you shut down an entire shelter that housed 500 plus people a night because occasionally someone commits an act of, right. you know, uh, property damage, you know, given their situation. It, you know, a lot of people's situation who are desperate, you know, living on the streets, it wouldn't be surprising. You might have a few 
Yeah, and I also want to say about the context of that, which is that in 2005, Atlanta came up with a law to criminalize panhandlers, um, mm-hmm. to arrest them um, if they asked anybody for money, at, like, within a certain 15 feet, 50 feet of an ATM or, um, like, a car, like, a meter or whatever. Or a, an entry to any business. And then they, ch- no, in 2012. Oh, right, they made it that, worse. So tw- the, la- la- the law in, 20, in 2005 hadn't, really been enforced but in 2012 they decided to start enforcing it and they essentially said if you are 15 feet outside of the entrance or exit to a business and you are asking for money you can be arrested um there was jail time for it and there was even at some point you could receive a thousand dollar fine which doesn't really work if you think about the context of that. Like, well, where well, is somebody going, yeah. panhandling to get a thousand dollars? So the, it's a Atlanta has taken. We're bringing these these both Miami and Atlanta up to to point to kind of draconian measures that were taken against people who um, often don't have have a strong of a voice. Um, and even though there was some pushback against uh, closing Peach Street Pine, eventually it was closed. The solution from the city is to um, scatter people throughout the city and put them in apartments. There's a quote from actually a, a business owner who lived next to the um, Peachtree Pine um, shelter who was very much in favor of it being open and being a place for people to go and a place of safety. So she was, and she would actually often, I think she drew pictures of them. She was an artist and she had her own studio by there and she would draw pictures um, or make, I can't remember, sculptures for the people that were living, some of the people living there. And her quote was, um, um, closing Peachtree Pine's doors won't solve the problem of homelessness, she said. We all have these resources and we can't, we can't fix it. She said, we have all these resources and can't fix it. I think by that she means there's plenty of money in Atlanta. Um, so, so how are the homeless people supposed to fix it? You know, meaning the people who have money can't fix it. How can you put the, the initiative on yeah. people who don't have any money to fix it in this culture we live in? And just putting them into an apartment won't solve the problem, basically. Yeah. So we are going to move on to a song, and uh, when we come back, we will have Josh Davis on the line to talk to um, him about his work um, in Brattleboro. So here is I Ain't Got No Home in This World Anymore by Woody Guthrie. I ain't got no home, I'm just a roaming round Just a wandering worker, I go from town to town And the police make it hard wherever I may go And I ain't got no home in this world Brothers and my sisters are stranded on this road, a hot and dusty road that a million feet have trod. Rich man took my home and drove me from my door, and I ain't got no home in this world anymore.
was a farming on the shares and always I was poor. My crops I lay into the banker's store. My wife. Okay, we're back. You're listening to WVEW 107.7 FM, your community radio station. Um, this is Henry Zucchini. I'm here with Kelly Juno today, and we're having we have a show today about um, panhandling homelessness, both in Brattleboro and in the larger um, community of the United States. So we are here with Josh Davis. He's the director of um, the Groundworks Collaborative in Brattleboro. So thanks for uh, coming on with us tonight, today, Josh. Thanks for having me on, Kelly and Henry. So Josh, um, we just wanted to start with um, a kind of a broader question. Um, can you talk about what Groundworks Collaborative is and the work that it does in Brattleboro, just to, to give people a little bit of background with that? Yeah, sure. Groundworks Collaborative is the product of a merger a couple of years ago between Morningside Shelter and the Brattleboro Area Drop-In Center. And so we provide services around uh, three basic areas, which is food, shelter, and supportive services. So for food, we have the food shelf on 60 South Main. And then for shelter, we have the year-round shelter, which is in Morningside Commons uh, Condominium Complex. Uh, we have a seasonal overflow shelter. For the past 10 years, it's been at the First Baptist Church. This year, it's going to be up at uh, formerly Austin School, now Winston Prouty. And then we run the day shelter on 60 South Main. And then for services, we provide case management services for folks that are looking for housing and trying to get into housing, but also for folks that have secured housing. Uh, we continue to provide those services uh, once they're in housing. And then we also provide representative payee services. So some folks that are on uh, Social Security benefits uh, need someone to assist them in taking care of their financial management or else they could potentially lose their benefits. So we provide that service. Okay, great. Kind of us in a nutshell. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay. So... <laughs> Uh, so we just talked a little bit about the flyer that was proposed um, to the select board about yeah. panhandling, and that was um, voted down on Tuesday. And I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about the history of that flyer and the kind of different camps for and against it. Yeah, um, I take kind of a long view of this. This flyer is a product of conversation that I think has gone on for at least a couple years that I've been a part of. I went to a DBA meeting a little over two years ago, right at the uh, tail, like the beginning of the merger, beginning of Groundworks Collaborative. And a thing that came up there was panhandling and um, the downtown merchants then, as they are now. There's a, a group of them that really aren't happy with what's going on downtown. That conversation didn't lead to much a couple of years ago uh, until this past spring when Michelle Simpson reached out to me and said, hey, and she's part of the Downtown Business Alliance, uh, to myself and to Chief Fitzgerald and said, hey, can we put together an article, an um, educational piece around panhandling and different approaches? And so there was a, an article that we co-authored that appeared in the Brattleboro Commons last spring and then based on that, there was a pretty significant shift in select board members uh, with the election and the addition of Tim and Brandy in particular. And I think Tim brought this issue to the select board in July and said, you know, let's follow up on this article. And in that article, it, it talked about panhandling, but it also talked about potential solutions. One of those that I was really and still am really excited about is uh, jobs program and 
we see examples of this in uh, Albuquerque, New Mexico, and Portland, Maine, to name uh, just a couple models that are out there that are really exciting, I think, to look at. And so I went to that select board meeting with Michelle and with Chief Fitzgerald and, um, you know, talked about a few different ideas. Also, out of this meeting grew the outreach team that Chief Fitzgerald put together, along with a couple other ideas. Uh, following that, the Downtown Business Alliance had a, a working group that met and invited myself, Chief, to come in and give updates on how progress was going on these particular initiatives. And in those discussions, uh, I don't know who brought it up or how it got brought up, but it was in that group that they said we should do a flyer. And so some different iterations started to get uh, passed around. And at first it had everybody's logo on it that was sitting around the table, the police, Groundworks, uh, Chamber of Commerce. But as we moved through the process, uh, Groundworks and myself, I wasn't comfortable with our logo appearing on the flyer. I felt like it was what was coming out was a bit uh, too harsh and wasn't representative of how we felt the issue needed to be addressed in the community and, and didn't feel comfortable adding our name to it. So we, uh, we pulled our logo off, as did the Chamber of Commerce. And so that initial iteration went to the select board, um, and I guess there was some back and forth over a couple meetings. And ultimately, Peter and the town decided to that they would take a run at a version. Uh, and I think they did a couple different iterations, with the culmination being this last meeting that they voted on it, and it was two to two. And so didn't have enough votes to pass. And what, from your, could you explain a little bit further why, what your issues with, if you feel comfortable talking about that, what what Groundworks issues were with the language in the flyer, or what what you thought some of the problems with with that with that flyer were? I think it. I think the flyer for us is a, it's really a value statement on how to address. Um, well, in this case, panhandling, and it feels divisive to us, and it starts to tap into a frame I, that I think you guys were talking about. I'm not listening on the radio, but I think I overheard while I was waiting to go on around criminalization of homelessness mm -hmm. and poverty. Yeah. And so the flyer really starts to tap into that frame, and we're not comfortable with that. Mm -hmm. We don't feel like though that is a, a reasonable solution. We criminalize you know, asking for money on the street. And there was this strong tie for us between um, panhandling itself and and calling the police. Mm -hmm. And so it didn't have enough yes, differentiation for us to feel comfortable that it, it wasn't, you know, targeting panhandling. The language softened over different iterations, but I still feel like there's this strong tie between panhandling and criminalization that I'm really not comfortable with. If you want solutions to issues such as this, I really wholeheartedly believe that they have to be inclusive and not catering to one side or the other, but really not criminalizing poverty. That's not uh, a solution that we can get behind. Yeah, so um, I was at a couple of the select board meetings, so I was kind of listening to a lot of the people's different feelings about the sign. Um, and one argument, and, yeah, and I would I would just bring up in that vein. Sorry to cut you off, Billy. I thought you made, and I watched a lot of those. I attended a couple. I have young kids, so that hour is really difficult for me to get to the <laughs> yeah. select board meeting. But I watched uh, your comments, and one of your comments that I really agree with, and feel like um, it happens over and over again, which is discrimination against folks that 
have the, are experiencing homelessness, folks that are experiencing um, poverty, uh, are discriminated against. Rather, I, I feel like it's this group that is um, marginalized over and over again, and we don't look at that. If you were to stick another group into a lot of the language and rhetoric that's out there, um, I think that there would be a stronger reaction to it. Yes. And so there's this acceptance of discrimination around totally. uh, folks that are experiencing homelessness. Yeah, and one, so um, one argument that I heard say, said mentioned several times in the select board meeting was that um, there are enough services in Brattleboro that no one should be in need of what they, like basic necessities, and in other words, mm-hmm. there's no need for people to ask for money on the streets. And I was wondering if you mm-hmm. could speak to this argument. I really don't agree with that, and that's not a, a question that I've been able to address uh, specifically in my time sitting in front of the select board. I am really extremely proud of the services that Groundworks is able to provide, but I also see the reality of the fact that despite our tremendous growth over the last three years, we're, we're scratching the surface. We're not able to provide services for everybody that needs them. And that's, we have a number of people that are hungry in this community. And so just given our ability to provide services, we can only have people visit the food shelf once a month. And so there's this disconnect there. Housing, there's a larger systemic issue with the uh, amount of affordable housing that is available. We have a less than 1% vacancy rate which is extremely tight. A healthy vacancy rate is between 4 and 6%, um, just as an indicator. But also, we have a shortage of housing subsidies. So because we have higher rents, and we all know that Vermont is a, not a cheap place to live, uh, the way that folks that we work with uh, are able to get into and maintain housing is through housing subsidies by and large. And uh, there's just not enough of those to go around. So there's not enough housing to begin with, but even people that have subsidies that are going to pay for upwards of 70% of their rental costs, um, there's not enough to go around that even folks who have those subsidies are able to get into housing. So no, I don't feel, and that's just the services that we provide. There's larger services in the community, uh, such as uh, treatment, access to treatment, access to mental health, quality mental health services. Um, that I feel are really lacking and or are, are challenging for people to access. Yeah, and actually just to um, uh, kind of ask more, follow up on one of the um, things you said about the food shelf. So you said people can visit once a month. So I'm just wondering, like, what does that once a month visit look like? Are they allotted, like, a certain amount of food per person? Like, is that same for, like, families or single people? Like, what does that look like? Yeah, it, it fluctuates the, the amount of food that folks can take. We're really not onerous, and we're not standing next to people and say, you can only have two of these and three of those. But we just ask uh, people to take what they need to help them get through a week. We Our goal is to supply a week's worth of groceries. And so we really want to help people connect to other services, such as uh, Three Squares Vermont, which is also known as food stamps. And so we want to make sure that people are accessing all the services that are out there and the food shelf being one to help bridge the the food dollar. And our goal is to provide enough groceries for somebody for uh, and or a family uh, for a, a week out of a month. Yeah, well, just maybe one final kind of uh, maybe this is a, a larger question around kind of the issue of homelessness and panhandling generally. But we live in an economic system that's largely based um, on exploitation and. Um, 
and often and therefore creates a lot of poverty. We have a system that's that's kind of done this for for as long as America has been a country. Um, so in order to actually eradicate poverty, we need in some ways we need a new system of organizing ourselves. But barring that kind of systemic change, what are some of the things uh -huh. that you think, as the director of uh, Groundworks, that that could happen realistically in Brattleboro that would start to address the needs of people living on the streets? And not I know you talk about what you guys already do, but if you could envision a better world, what are some of the things that you you think? we could do in the immediate future that, that couldn't um, help people living in these conditions. You're right. I, you know, the, the system works really well for some people. It doesn't work really well for everybody. And, you know, the folks that are on the street, the system's not working well for them. So what are some things that we can do? Um, I think we have some models out there that are really exciting. And so it's to continue to fund these models, uh, housing first, is a really exciting model which says, you know, folks don't need to be sober to maintain housing. Folks don't need to jump through a bunch of hoops and earn, earn housing. Housing is a right. So let's move straight from being on the street into um, units. Let's bring services, but let's make those services voluntary, meet people where they are. So we're going to meet you once a week. You have to meet with us once a week. You have to check in. You have to talk with us. And you have to maintain um, basically what it says in your lease but otherwise, you don't have to engage in services if you don't want to. And uh, this has proven to be extremely successful, not just in our community of Vermont, but throughout the country. And so, I, you know, continuing to ramp those up, that is the, you know, it goes back to housing, the housing subsidy, but also supportive services. And so investing in all of those areas. I think taking that model, too, and applying it to employment, applying it to opportunities for people to be able to, um, make an income and, and contribute, again, I don't think that solutions that are going to be divisive and pushing people out of an area into another area is going to be uh, effective. We have to figure out ways to create spaces for everybody in our community and really not segregated spaces. How, how can we create um, the, these spaces where you have multiple classes and um, a diversity coming together. And, and it's challenging, but there are models that are out there. And one of these ways is through an employment-first approach, which is basically you put your name on a list and you get a job. You know, it's not about the resume. It's not about the interview skills. It's about getting somebody into an employment situation that um, has supports along with the ability to make um, money. And so I would love to see some of that come online as well. Just a couple off the top of my head. Okay, great. Well, thanks so much for taking your time, especially with young children. I know you you're, must be busy this time of year. It's starting to get cold. Um, uh, so we appreciate you taking your time to talk to us yeah. and um, hear thanks, your thoughts. Josh. Yeah, thank you for having me, and thank you for keeping the conversation going. I really appreciate that. I do think that there were a few um, things that were mentioned. Brandy mentioned one about having uh, continuing this conversation, but just being very... Um, intentional and aware of who is participating in that conversation. And so can we get folks that are actually out on the street asking for money into a conversation with folks that don't want them out there on the street asking for money yeah. in a really safe space so that everybody can speak uh, and share their story? Because I think that that is huge. And these conversations largely take on a life of their own, and we forget who they're about and forget to include those people in the conversation. So. We actually uh, I really we, appreciate what you're doing. Thanks. We planned today to bring someone. Kelly Kelly was interviewing someone on the street who's currently homeless, and we're going to bring her to the studio today, and we're going to meet her today, but that fell through. Um, but we were going to have her in, in the studio with us, but it unfortunately didn't work out. But we are going to talk about what they talked about, so a little bit later in the show. 
All right. That's excellent. Thank you so much. Thanks, okay. Josh. Thanks so much. So, All right. Thank you. Okay, Have a great day. Bye. You too. Uh, so uh, when we come back, we will talk a little bit about um, some of the stories, unfortunately told by me, <laughs> of panhandlers on the streets in Brattleboro. Um, but right now, um, this is Death to My Hometown by Bruce Springsteen. Listening to WVEWLP FM 107.7, and this is Indigo Radio, deepening understanding, making connections. I'm Henry Zucchini. And I'm Kelly Juno. And today we're talking about panhandling and homelessness, both here in Brattleboro and in the country beyond. And we just spoke with Josh Davis from Groundworks Collaborative about work they're doing to on these issues and their seems like fairly involved in uh, multiple levels of the issue from food, shelter, um, providing connections to services. So, you know, looking on the hopeful side, that is something that we can think about positively, although clearly from what Josh said, there's, there's a lot of work to be done still. Yeah, so I actually just wanted to spend a little bit of time um, sharing some uh, stories of people who are homeless in Brattleboro right now and who are... Um, are on the streets and um, looking for a little bit of help um, and like I said earlier unfortunately these are told by me um, secondhand but um, I w- have been uh, chatting with people who I come across on the street and um, just talking about living in Brattleboro and uh, what it's like to um, be on the street and how people see you and what, what people's stories are. So, uh, I talked to, um, one, uh, man yesterday. Um, he's probably about, he's probably a little older than me, like mid thirties. Um, and 
He um, is a Brattleboro native, and he went to Oak Grove, and he went to BUHS, and um, he um, was was asking for money, and he he told me that this was the first time. He said this is the first time I've ever been homeless, um, and I asked him what what happened, and he said that he had had a um, felony conviction. I didn't ask him the details, but he had been um, in jail for 30 days. And um, when he got out, his uh, um, friend who he was living with, um, who he was renting a room from, I should say, said, I'm sorry, you, you can't live here anymore. You have, you went to jail and um, you can't live here. And so um, he was essentially put on the street. And because of his felony conviction, it's really hard to get a job. Mm-hmm. And um, he's looking to get into Morningside, but, you know, there's, like Josh said, um, Morningside can't accommodate everybody in Brattleboro. Um, and um, so he was, he felt somewhat hopeful, and he said, I have a, a appointment with a caseworker, I have an interview um, next week at McDonald's. Um, and this is the first time I've been on the street, and I'm not going to be out here for long. Um, but he also told me, um, so he, he went to BUHS and he dropped out after 10th grade and he dropped out because he needed to work. And so he went to work full time. Um, and he was, his family was really unable to, to go on without another income. So he, um, started working and, um, he told me, so I said, and he said he was camping and, um, he has received some tents from the drop-in shelter. Um, downtown and um, two of his tents have been slashed open by the Brattleboro Police Department the police have found them they have um, for whatever reason it's not land that he's supposed to pinch a tent on um, I think at one point is near NYT uh, another place and they slashed it open they took a knife and they destroyed the tent so they didn't open the zipper and they essentially ransacked the tent. He came back and he found his belongings all over the ground. And uh, the tent was slashed and they broke his poles. And they, he found the Brattleboro PD business card inside the tent. Which seems to me, when I think about that, it seems a bit, um, I guess more than a bit, <laughs> uh, illogical. Um, because, you know, we were, we were talking before the show and, and being a little bit, I was being a bit facetious. But I said, well, why not the police just go right to Groundworks, or I'm sorry, to, to Morningside, to get the tent at Morningside? Or the drop-in center? Drop-in go to the drop-in center and just slash the tents immediately, yeah. and then people can patch them up, and then get their tent slashing out of the way, and then move on to just letting people, um, you know, have their the limited shelter they have without destroying it. But it does make one wonder what the underlying goal is there. How is that, how is slashing someone's tent who is really living on the margins of society, how it, in any way is that benefit? Of course, it benefits someone. I suppose it, it benefits a private landowner or maybe it benefits a tourist from not having this, you know, view tents up in the city. But I'm just not sure how, how that's an effective policing policy. Do you have any thoughts about that as to whether that's... Well, I mean, it was funny because what he was saying, he said they just did the camp for a common cause. You know, they do the camp on the commons mm-hmm. yeah. um, in, the, in May, I think, in Brattleboro. Groundworks puts it on. He's like, they raise this money and they buy, they can buy some tents and then the police destroy them. Um, and yeah, I mean, I think that no matter who you are as a police officer, you are part of a system. Like you are not just some individual living in a vacuum. And the system is the people who have 
power to say and make decisions are the business owners. And so in your mind is that um, the presence of panhandlers is bad for business. And that does affect how you act um, no matter who you are. That's, you are part of a, um, a larger system and also part of a police force. And It's interesting, too. When you look at the statistics for homelessness in the country, um, there the estimates put it at maybe – 700,000 thereabouts people who are homeless um, in a year in the country. Most of those people are in the situation of the man you're talking about. They are, they are um, temporarily, temporarily homeless, shall we say. I mean, they're experiencing homelessness as a part of their lives, but they have a chance possibly to get out of it. And we don't know, of course, what the end of his story will be. But there's, there's also a, a, a portion of that um, homeless population that's chronically homeless, meaning they, they cannot find housing, are not able to get um, perhaps the services they need to get out of um, living on the streets. Um, perhaps some of them don't want to stop living on the streets, but that's a, they, they estimate, and these are estimates, of course, 15% of that, of that total are people that are chronically homeless. Sounds like he might've been in the, you know, the former camp. He was in between situations, but the felony thing is interesting too, because the United States spends a lot of time criminalizing people for life. And part of the way you criminalize them for life is make felons. I mean, in many states, they can't vote anymore. So they're, right. they're, they're, so so-called citizenship taken away and then they they have to put on every, every job application if they're you know um otherwise it's perjury essentially or they're lying uh, that they've been a felon and then of course that affects their ability to be employed uh theoretically if you've served your time and and you you know you've done this criminal act then you should be that should be it but right. that's not the way we treat it it's a it's a scarlet letter of sorts that you that you carry with you your whole life yeah and i also i talked to another woman yesterday um she was uh, a little bit older and she was on the street. She had been on the streets for five months and um, they both expressed the man and the one who I talked to yesterday, both expressed um, how ashamed they felt to be asking for money on the streets. Um, she was like, you know, you got to do what you got to do. Like I, um, I'd like to get into Morningside. Like there's a waiting list. Um, she was homeless because she left an abusive situation so um, she, you know, had been living with a man and she um, decided that she wasn't going to put up with the abuse anymore. And so she um, is now living on the streets. And she had also had a tent slashed by the Brattleboro PD, um, came back to find the tent destroyed. Um, so she had to find another one, another place to camp. And um, yeah, just I guess what I really got from talking to her, especially was this sense of like despair Mm-hmm. And she was supposed to be with us today, but it makes sense in some way that we weren't, weren't able to connect with her because people living on the margins of society often have a hard time, mm -hmm. you know, just getting through a day. And so, you know, her being with us probably wasn't her first priority above, you know, eating, finding shelter, um, just trying to get by materially for the day. Yeah. So, um, and I, I would also like to say that it's, I find it really interesting having been at these select board meetings, people talking about this feeling of fear they have when they see panhandlers and how subjective that is. And like, where does that fear come from? Because, you know, uh, and is that actually true? Like, and who is, who are the people who are really experiencing um, problems with safety? Mm -hmm. People without homes. And the, right. but the, then it's turned around on them. And it's this <laughs> right. idea that like, actually like the people who are not safe are like the people walking down the street, like in proximity uh -huh. of people in need. And yeah. so that's an irony, isn't it? A deep, so, deep irony. Yeah. So ironic. Yeah. Um, so actually when we come back, we're going to, um, 
And we, I think we both have some thoughts about other ways of being in the world and other possibilities and want to share those. So when we come back, we're going to talk a little bit about other, um, other solutions and other things places are doing. Okay, great. So we have a little break here. We're going to do a PSA uh, for the Vermont Jazz Center, and then we'll be right back. Hello, this is Eugene Newman, director of the Vermont Jazz Center. The VJC is a proud underwriter of WVEW LP Brattleboro. The Jazz Center is located in the Cotton Mill Hill Building in Brattleboro, Vermont. We are an award-winning nonprofit dedicated to creating and preserving jazz through the presentation of workshops, concerts, and instruction. For further information, check us out online at www.vtjazz.org. Uh, so, welcome back. This is Indigo Radio on WVEWLP 107.7, your community radio station. Uh, we are online. We are live every Sunday from noon to one. So, um, I think we're going to spend the rest of this time talking about uh, kind of hoping, hopefully, like questioning mm -hmm. and challenging some of the foundational beliefs that lead to um, criminalizing poor people. Um, and so, I think there's this really deep, deep belief in this country that what is good for business is good for the community. Um, and job creation is always good because it gives people a paycheck and therefore the businesses are those providers of the jobs and they're somehow benevolent and right now there's a big you've probably following the news but amazon there's multiple cities um putting themselves out there trying to get this amazon center in their cities because it'll bring all sorts of jobs and they're kowtowing offering tax breaks incentives rolling out the red carpet to amazon to please bring them to our community to, to please Amazon, give us jobs. We don't have enough jobs. We want you here. So they're all vying for Amazon's, you know, love. Yeah. And also that like when a community has full of local businesses and they're tourists, that community is thriving. Um, but thriving for whom? Um, and I just want to question this, I, the, um, this idea that what is good, good is good for business is good for the community because like we've talked about, um, businesses can see human beings as being negative for business and that and ask for them to be removed and because the, their ultimate goal is profit um and it's not about people's needs and then to engage in the business you also need to be able to buy the things that they have and so um it's really it's based on buying and consuming things that certain people who have some amount of disposable income can do and I actually, thanks for bringing up Amazon because um, I also just want to question this idea about jobs. Not because I don't think that people should have jobs. Like we need jobs. I need a job and I have a job and I'm really glad that I have a job, but that I want to imagine something where we're not at the mercy of needing any job. And so I actually want to read this quote. And it's from an article entitled, Being Homeless is Better Than Working for Amazon. And this is about uh, written by a woman uh, who chose to become homeless after she quit her job at Amazon, the Amaz an Amazon warehouse and publicly protested the company. So she says, I have never felt more alone than when I was working there. I worked in isolation and lived under constant surveillance. 
Amazon could mandate overtime, and I would have to comply with any schedule change they deem necessary. And if there was not any work, they would send us home early without any pay. I started to fall behind on my bills. And so for me, this quote helps me think about how um, not working can be fatal, but work can also destroy your life. Mm -hmm. Um, And it makes me want to ask the question, what kind of lives do we want people in the world to leave, to lead? Um, And Henry, maybe we can spend some time imagining a world that was not organized around business. Right. I mean, it would, it could be creeping things like, for example, you and I were talking about, just imagine we were, we were sitting at the works as we organized the show today and the works is a beautiful, there's lots of wood furniture in there. It has a nice atmosphere. The lighting is kind of perfect. And you said to me, imagine if this was actually a community kitchen where people would pay um, what they could for food and it was staffed by community members, perhaps some of them who needed a job and were provided by, you know, a a, a means of subsistence Mm -hmm. and living a dignified life. And if that was a place that community members could meet, um, let's say, I don't know, 12 hours a day, 15 hours a day. As you know, if you're down in downtown in Brattleboro, any time of the day, where are the public spaces? Where can someone go to the bathroom? Where are the public bathrooms? Where are the bathrooms? Where is a place to eat? I mean, the public life in Brattleboro, interestingly, is so... um, circum like so limited in some way uh, the See. public spaces that people can go and so your your idea of this kind of public kitchen I was like wow wouldn't that be? or the river gallery this thing down here it sits empty most of the time with, with you know often beautiful artwork on there but a beautiful light filled building right on the river and what is it being with used bathrooms. for bathrooms <laughs> with bathrooms what is it being used for i mean think of the possibilities if we had yeah. if we had a different mindset that was just not oh well what what's a new business we can bring like amazon or not that brattleboro is getting amazon but you know the next the next storefront and, and what can we think about that would actually really humanize our lives here and bring people together like Josh said from all social class the place where people could eat and build community where are those places is it the food co-op I mean I'm yeah not and sh- also that like we didn't just we weren't we didn't say oh this is a thriving town because we have tourists and store and and we have stores like mm-hmm. but we said this is a thriving town because people care for we have public places yeah. that are accessible to all Everyone. people and that like there are no barriers to entry there are no codes for the bathroom there are mm-hmm. no keys for the bathroom there um if you need food you can get it yeah um it's almost sounds it's it's sad to say but it almost sounds so preposterous to even bring that up but then that shows how far we are from the world we want to live in, I think. That this, this, this even idea seems so fantastical that it could even possibly happen. But there are places in the world where they're, they're making, and strangely enough, this, the place that I want to talk about just briefly is Salt Lake City, which, you know, seems, oh, it's so far away, but we're all in this large country together. And in Salt Lake, they basically did what Josh said. They said housing first. And basically what that meant was in Salt Lake, they said, if you're homeless, and you want a home? We'll give you a home, no questions asked. And they gave people homes. They didn't have to fill out any forms. <laughs> they didn't have to do. They're like, if you're homeless, and and from a capitalist point of view, it's wonderful the capitalist because it saves money. It's efficient. It's actually cheaper to house people than to than to you know have to say, oh well, you're going to go to the emergency room or you're you're going to right. the police are going to be constantly arresting you. It's much much more efficient from a capitalist point of view. But just from a from a humanistic point of view, doesn't that make a whole lot more sense? And what did they do in Salt, Salt Lake? They reduced their homeless population, their chronic homeless population, by 72% yeah. by homing people, and it's been incredibly successful. Housing first, no questions asked. Here you go. Here are the keys. Walk in. Yeah. So. Just uh, my final thought is that I want to live in a world that is not organized around business and where money is not a barrier to eating. 
That seems like a reasonable um, yeah. final thought, Kelly. I think yeah. that isn't so outrageous, um, I don't think. And so that would be that would be. And there are examples out there that, that have done it. And Josh mentioned a few. Few we mentioned a few. And then we we imagined a few. Imagine one yeah. in Bradley. What would that look like? To have a public space where we could all eat and love together and 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 get food as we needed it. Yeah, and, and hopefully you all are at home. And- imagining radical possibilities too radical change in your life okay so we have a, a song to go out with what are we doing next week on and indigo radio do you know kelly what the show is for next um, week it says spoken word on my document but i am not you're not sure if that's happening that's well happening. we're not always great at knowing what we're doing next <laughs> week this happened before but we know that it'll be excellent and your host will be will guiding you through another mm-hmm. um um mentally expansive radio (laughs) it'll be good for you so well thanks for listening to indigo radio and this is heaven by brett denon beyond the rules of religion the cloth of conviction Above all the competition Where fact and fiction meet There's no color lines, caste or classes There's no fool in the masses Whatever faith you pray